0: This morning in our Conversion Culture Series. Conversion Culture Series. This morning we're looking at the Church of Thyatira. The Church of Thyatira. If you want to turn with me in Revelation chapter 2, we'll start at verse 18. And it's good to see Maggie's family with us this morning. Welcome you. And uh, I was getting close to those Hallmark movie time, right? So there you go. Yeah. I'll, I'll try not to preach against those this morning. I got in a little trouble one time, didn't I? So I'll make up for it. Those are okay. (laughs) Well, they're not okay, but they're okay for you. (laughs) They're my buddies. Revelation chapter two, we're going to start at verse 18 this morning. Talking about conversion culture and... um, it came up uh, again at our Thursday nine a.m. service. If you haven't been to that yet, I want to invite you to come if you're able to come. Thursdays at nine a.m. with Pastor and Sister Allison, um, but we have a wonderful time. It's uh, from nine a.m. to about ten a.m. Please come and be with us. But Joyce brought up uh, this past week a really interesting comment that um, I thought again it fits well in the in the sermon. Last week, I used Virginia. This week, I'll use Joyce. I may have to start uh, sharing my sermons with the the group. I don't know. But uh, Joyce said, you know, sometimes it's what we don't say, what we don't preach, what we don't teach can speak volumes about what we actually do believe and what we actually do stand for. And I thought, wow, that is an interesting thought. And when I thought about our series, Conversion Culture, It made me think, God help us as a church, whatever we preach, whatever we teach, let us make certain that we are preaching and teaching the full counsel of God, the fullness of the scriptures. From the Genesis to the Revelation, may we preach the word of God, amen? And she referenced in that conversation that one very notable preacher, I won't mention a name, but one notable preacher had made a comment nationally, well, God has only called me to preach a certain message or a certain portion of the scriptures. I'll leave those other topics to someone else. But I don't feel that that should be the case this morning. I feel that if God has called us to preach, to teach, to witness, to share the gospel, it should be the full counsel of God. It should be the entirety of the word of God. And so if I just strategically not preach portions of the scripture, in essence I'm taking a stand against those portions of scripture. And it made me think as a a pastor, as a minister, after that conversation on Thursday, God help me to be diligent to preach your word, the fullness of your word, I can't pick and choose based on preferences of what points I wanna make on a certain Sunday. I can't overemphasize my favorite passages. It could be easy for me to just stay in certain topics all the time, but God help me to be balanced in what we preach. And I can't ignore passages that I I don't care much for. Now there are passages that can dig around our roots and make us a little uncomfortable and convict us and challenge us, but we should not ignore those passages, amen? So God help us to to be a church that preaches and teaches and stands upon the full word of God, not leaving anything out and taking it, I might add, in the proper context. I can't just pull out a scripture here and a scripture there but take the scripture in the full context. What is it saying within the passage? What is it saying within the chapter? What is the chapter saying within the book? Take it in the context of how it was written. And the Bible complements itself. It fulfills itself. It builds on itself when we take it in the proper context. So I thought that fit very well as we're going through this sermon series. And I thought about this question as we start to look at the church of Thyra. Tyra. Why would we even desire to modify God's word? Why would we even want to change God's word? God's word is powerful. God's word will show us how to live. God's word will show us how to get to heaven. God's word is what we need. So let us not adapt it to the culture in which we live. I think we said it last week. We are not called to conform, but we are called to transform. God, help us to do that. Let's look this morning at the church of Thyatira. Look with me if you don't mind to Revelation chapter two beginning at verse 18. Revelation 2, 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. It is so interesting to me When we look at the salutations, the greetings of all seven letters, they all begin with a greeting that is specific to that church, but it gives a specific description of Christ. And in every case, if you take time and dig around to the description given of Christ, it is the description that provides the remedy the problem or challenges of the church. Isn't that amazing? And so when I looked right here and started studying this out, first he calls himself, Jesus calls himself the son of God. This is the only place in Revelation where Christ is called the son of God. Christ is called many, many, many different descriptions and adjectives in Revelation. Here's the only place where he's called the son of God. But in this city of Thyatira, their patron god of the culture was Apollo, who was, get this, the son of the god, little g, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Zeus. So he's saying here hey, you live in Thyatira. The people around you worship who they call the son of God, Apollo, but the real son of God is writing to you right here. You need to pay attention. You're living in a culture that believes in a little G, but the big G is writing to you, the real son of the living God. I want to tell us this morning, we still serve the son of God, amen? And and regardless of the culture around us, of who they put up as their pagan gods or their patron gods or the cultural gods or icons, I still believe in the Son of God. I still believe Jesus is the only Son of God. I still believe Jesus is the only way to God, amen. Amen. In this pluralistic society where people will propose that there are multiple ways to get to God, I still believe there is only one way to God, through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We cannot compromise that message. Then he said he has eyes like a flame of fire. Eyes like a flame of fire. What do you mean? I believe that means he sees everything and he sees right through everything and he is precise in what he sees and nothing is hidden from what the son of God sees. He sees the realness of you and I. I see you this morning, you see me. That should be kind of a little children's song. I see you, you see, well, never mind. But God really sees us. You see me with my sports coat on, but God sees with those eyes of flaming fire. Christ sees the heart. You see my conduct, but God, Christ sees my character. Wow, eyes like flames of fire. Then I like this one, feet like Brass Feet like brass. And when I studied that out, I found that the feet like brass were a symbol of two things. A symbol of strength and a symbol of judgment. Think about that for a moment. A symbol of strength and a symbol of judgment. And that, that really grabbed me because I thought when I read the rest of this passage, Christ was coming with potential judgment we're going to see here in just a moment. But if you read and look at that, before the judgment was going to come, he said, I gave her, we're going to talk about a person here in a moment in the church. He said, I gave her time to repent. And I believe these feet like brass are saying to us, listen, first, a symbol of strength. If you want to do right if i want to live right if i want to live godly those feet of brass are there to give me strength to live christ-like and god will give us strength he'll give us grace he'll give us mercy but if he has to get to the point of judgment those feet like brass will bring judgment i want to avoid the judgment how about you I don't want to be judged by God. I don't want to be condemned by God. I don't want the wrath of God poured out on me. I want the strength that comes from the feet of brass to strengthen me and to help me to live for him. But we see here very clearly this morning that if if we stay in rebellion, as someone in this chapter does, in in this letter she does, then judgment comes. I don't want God's judgment, but I desperately need his mercy and his grace. Can I get a witness this morning? Let's keep going, verse number 19. We're gonna look at my labor. We're gonna see their labor, we're gonna look and think about it as individuals, as my labor, how I'm living, how I'm working for for God, my labor. Look at verse 19, please. I'm sorry, my eyes went the wrong way. Here it is. I know your works. Your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. That's a great scripture. Yes, we could close our Bible right now and say, hey, let's find the first church of Thyatira and let's go. That's a good church. They have works, they have faith, they have patience. And they're better than they were at the first. Now, now, wouldn't that be an awesome thing for us to say as a local congregation? As we, we're about to celebrate, I believe, someone could correct me, but I think next year we'll celebrate our 80th anniversary. I believe that's right. Some of you do the math. Don't take your shoes off to count with your toes, but somebody do the math. <laughs> but I think next year will be our 80th. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If Christ would look at the Nortonsville Church of God and say, your works now are greater than they were then. And if the Lord tarries his coming and and we celebrated our 100th year, wouldn't it be wonderful if Christ looked at the church and said, your works now are greater than they were when you celebrated your 80th? What if Christ looked at us as individuals and said, okay, whatever age we are now, our works are greater now than they were before. I believe that our labor for the Lord can become more fruitful and more sweet and and we can do more for God even as we progress in age. Amen. And he said, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. They had all of those things going on. And if you notice in my PowerPoint slide, I I broke it down away from just the church's labor, but to my labor. Because I really feel as we look through this passage this morning, yes, he's writing to a congregation, but a lot of these things, all of these things start with us as individuals, and so I ask us this morning, think about where is our love? Kind of like we preached a few weeks ago with, with Ephesus. Have we lost our first love? Where is our faith? Is our faith stronger and bolder now than it ever has been? Where is our patience? Now, nobody wants to preach about patience, so I'll just move on with that one, right? I'm impatient But we need patience sometimes. Where is our patience? Are we patiently following God and allowing him to direct the the course of our lives or are we trying to make it happen ourselves? Your works are greater than the first. There's a lot of good things right there, but look at verse 20. There's a nevertheless. Don't you hate that? Somebody, somebody come to you. You know, I've been in leadership for a long time in the schools or in the churches or both and, and you can tell when it's coming. Somebody will come to you and they'll just start saying all these wonderful things and you're sitting there, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And then there's a, a but <laughs> or a nevertheless, right? And like, oh, I knew it was coming. There's a complaint. Here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Well, right here, here's a nevertheless, I have, look at verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. They had everything, David Jeremiah said it this way, they had everything in their church but holiness. And it does matter how we live. Yes, it, does. it does matter to live holy and godly. And yes, we need to ask forgiveness from time to time and yes, we need his grace and mercy and no, none of us can be perfect but through Christ, he can help us and it does matter how we live our lives. And he looked at this church and he said, You're doing all these good works more than ever before. You've got love, you've got patience, you've got it going on, you're doing lots and lots of things, but you're tolerating within your church body this lady Jezebel who is seducing people to sin. Wow, they had everything but holiness. We don't like to be told what to do or what not to do. But the scripture tells us how to live Christ-like, doesn't it? And it is important in these days to live like Christ. Holiness in our walk with God is important. It starts with that relationship with God. And if I'm focusing on that relationship with God and I'm looking in the word of God, he will help me to avoid the things that I need to avoid. Let's look here at what happens with Jezebel. Verse 21, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. That's what I was referencing earlier with the feet of, of brass, the strength and the judgment. He gave her time to repent. And the good news for you and the good news for me is if there are sins in our lives that Christ is convicting us of, Not sins that the pastor's convicting you of. I can't convict you of anything. I can't come up here and preach on my convictions or my opinions. But if Christ is convicting any one of us of sins in our lives, guess what he'll do? He'll give us time to repent. He's convicting us, he's stirring us, he's correcting us because he loves us. Why do I correct one of my children? Because I love them. I don't get up in the mornings and say, well, I wanna correct them just because I wanna correct them. But we correct a child, why? Because we love them and we want them to do better. And so this morning, if there are times in our lives when Christ is convicting us or stirring us and saying we need to stop doing this or going there, it's because he loves us. Can I get an amen this morning? He convicts us because he loves us. He said, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. This Jezebel is a really interesting, I call it in my notes here, the Jezebel factor. He called this lady Jezebel, but I believe there is a broader picture here. First, there was a Jezebel in the Old Testament. And I don't know for sure that this lady in Thyatira was actually named Jezebel as much as maybe he was trying to imply she's very much like the Jezebel of the Old Testament. It could have been both. But but when you look at the Jezebel of the Old Testament, she was manipulative. Ahab, King Ahab married her and she came in If you remember, and she brought with her the idols. For example, Baal. We've all heard the the story of the idol Baal and the showdown of Elijah and the prophets on the mountain. Well, what she did, what Jezebel did, was she came in to King Ahab, who was worshiping God, and, and hopefully the Israelites worshiping God, Jehovah God. But Jezebel came in, and she brought with her her gods, including Baal. And instead of coming in and just wreaking total havoc and saying, I'm against Jehovah, I'm against Jehovah, we're gonna worship Baal and all my idols, she was more subtle about it. And what she did, she came in, and in the places of worship and in the places, the high places, they called them in the Old Testament, she put altars to Baal beside of the altars to Jehovah. And so she didn't come in just abrasively because she wouldn't have been accepted. Now, can I just preach right here this morning to the church, our church, and any church? The way the enemy really wants to come in with false doctrine and watered-down doctrine, he won't send in preachers or teachers or leaders necessarily that just come in, and from out the gate, they just throw everything out. We would see through that. But she was a Jezebel, came in subtly into the church of Thyatira. And she started subtly bringing in false doctrine. She started subtly bringing in things and seducing, the Bible says, and pulling them away and even pulling some in the congregation into sin. It is important what is preached and taught in our churches. It is important as children of God that we be Bible readers and study for ourselves and understand the word of God. And everything I preach to you, you should take it critically and make sure it matches up with the scripture. Just because I might come in here and tell a good joke or two and write Josie, a good joke and you're like, and and shake hands and smile, and you say, oh, he's got a great personality and a great sense of humor. All that could be good. It might be true. It might not be true. But am I preaching the word of God? I believe, I'm afraid, that there are places, there are churches where the Jezebel, like in Thyatira, has come into the congregation and has gained influence and is leading God's people astray. God, help us to guard against what I call the Jezebel factor. She was compromising and she was concocting. And she was leading and seducing people and bringing them astray. But God loves his church. Christ loves his church. And he loves his church too much to allow that nonsense to continue. And so he brings judgment upon her. Look at verse 21 and we'll keep going from there. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent. Verse 22, indeed, here's the judgment. I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their Deeds. Let me be very careful here this morning, but does God still send judgment? Yes, he does. And I know there's been a lot of notable preachers and a lot of notable people in the land who have taken great flack through the years when they have said this was God's judgment or that was God's judgment. But God still brings judgment. And let me be clear, every hurricane is not necessarily God's judgment. Because there's a natural flow in the world and we just live under the curse of sin. I guess if you get real theological about it, it, you could take it all the way back and say, well, all of those bad things are happening because of sin, right? But does God send calamity upon places sometimes or allow it to happen because of his judgment? I believe he does. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of sexual perversion. God still brings judgment. That's not a popular thing to talk about in the, in the church. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this sermon, wasn't That some things we just don't want to preach anymore. We just don't want to bring up, but God does bring judgment. So let me take it away from just the, the worldwide scene and the church scene and just take it because if you notice my slides, I put my labor, my lifestyle. I wanted us to try to hone in as individuals on this a little bit this morning too. There are things, actions and reactions, rebellion that could bring judgment from God upon us in our individual lives. Let us be very careful. Let's be very sober minded. Let's try to live a holy life. Let's try to please God. The good news is God is just not up there looking at trying to zap you your eye. He's not just looking, wanting to judge us or punish us or get us, he's very long suffering. He wants us to repent, but there can come a point in our life when we can rebel too long and correction will come or judgment will come. So, so let's be very careful, let's be very mindful of, of pleasing the Lord if he's dealing with us about things. Here's some things that were happening in this judgment. Look at verse 23. I will kill her children with death. Now, this could have very well been her biological children, but it could also have been her quote-unquote spiritual children of disciples that she was making. It could have been both. But regardless, there were people in her influence that he said, I'm going to kill them. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind's and hearts. This is why God would bring judgment if he ever does because he wants us to know he and he alone is the son of God. He will be first in our lives or he will not be at all. And sometimes he has to rock our boats, so to speak, so that it gets our attention, so we remember, yes, it is you, God, who searches my heart. It is you, God, who searches my life, and I want to serve you and you alone. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. So we see the Jezebel judgment. Judgment that I want to avoid as an individual. I want us to avoid as individuals. I want us to avoid as a a church. We can't compromise. We must be alert and in tune to the word of God. But then he starts to talk to other groups that were in that church because thank God everybody had not sold out. Can it be easy in this world that we live today to think we're the only ones, we're the only ones living for Christ? But do you remember when Elijah, to reference back to that same story we talked about a few minutes ago, when Elijah found himself down in the dumps and sitting under the tree and gloom, despair, agony on me, if it weren't for, no, I'm just kidding. He found himself, do you know what God told him? He said, I still have seven thousand who have not bowed to Baal. They are holy and they're righteous and they're in this present generation. And I want to tell each one of us this morning, there might be times when we think we're the only one at the workplace or at the schoolhouse or at at the marketplace that is serving God, but God still has a people. There are still Christians all around this world Serving God, we're not alone, we're not the only ones. And right here in this church of Thyatira, some of them had compromised, but not all of them. And he says, I've got some rewards for the ones who are gonna be overcomers. Look with me at verse 24. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. He said, I'm gonna watch out for you. You haven't compromised. You haven't gone down this path of Satan with Jezebel. I'm watching out for you. I'm not gonna put any other burden on you, but hold fast. Somebody say, hold fast. fast. Let's say it again. Hold fast. Hold fast what you have till I come. Boy, that would be a good little phrase for us to leave here with this morning as children of God, as Christians, grab that little phrase and put it over and over in our minds, hold fast what I have till I come. Hold fast, excuse me, what you have till I come. Hold fast what you have until I come. But you say, Pastor, some of my family used to serve the Lord and and they're wavering. Hold fast what you have until I come. You say, but Pastor, some of my friends are straying away and they want me to go with them. They want me to live this way with them and I'll lose my friends. But you hold fast what you have until Christ comes. There's no one and nothing worth giving up Our relationship with Christ. Hold fast what you have till I come. And as we preached a few months ago or a few weeks ago now, he is coming. He is coming. He is coming. Until he comes, hold fast what you have. Look at verse 26. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my Father. He is talking about there the millennial reign of Christ when we as believers shall rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. For those of us who overcome, for all of us, even us, not just the church at Thyatira, who overcome, who hold fast, one day we're gonna rule and reign with Christ himself. Now that just blows my mind a little bit. I don't know about you, but it blows my mind a little bit. But he says, to him who overcomes, you're gonna rule and you're gonna reign with me. And we think we don't have anything exciting to look forward to. And we think we have boring lives. And some of you might say to me, Pastor Greg, I get bored sometimes. I have nothing to look forward to. Yes, you have a lot to look forward to as a child of God. I tell you, I guarantee you, it's not gonna be a boring thing ruling and reigning with Christ. It's gonna be an amazing thing. What else does he promise? I love this. And and this is where we're gonna wrap it up this morning. Look at verse 28 and 29 and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is the morning star? Well, Let me try to bring that out this morning. It grabbed my heart. I hope it'll grab yours. How many knows that Jesus Christ is coming that second time as I just said, to rule in the second coming, I'm talking about the second coming of Christ to rule and reign upon this earth. And the son, Jesus Christ is going to appear. But there is a morning star by or astrologically speaking that appears in the horizon before the sun comes up. He's talking about a morning star. So what he's talking about here is he's talking about I'll give you the rapture of the church. And then he takes it even deeper. I'm giving you the morning star. What's it say? I, ah, The lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, fairest of 10,000 to my soul. What is he saying? I'm promising you the rapture. But what is really the important part of the rapture, the morning star Is Jesus Christ. If you overcome, I'm gonna give you Jesus. Oh yes, he's already given us Jesus through salvation and Jesus is already with us, but we're gonna be with him in the rapture. We're gonna be coming back with him in the second coming and he has promised to those who overcome, he'll give us the morning star. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Let's do that line one more time. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He closed by saying, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I've studied these churches and we're gonna preach about the rest of these churches, good Lord willing. And I say, God, don't let us just study about them and don't let us just read about them and don't let us just preach about them, but let us really hear what the Spirit wants to say to us through these powerful letters that you wrote to the churches. Would you bow your head with me this morning? He's the lily of the valley. The bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Lord, we praise you this morning. We bless you this morning. We thank you, God, that we are promised your presence. We are promised the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What a great promise, Lord. You have promised that if any of us would look to you this morning, and ask you to come into our hearts and forgive our sins. We are promised salvation. You have told us to those who are overcome, you'll give us the morning star. We have the promise of the rapture of the church and that great fellowship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we are promised that we're gonna come back with you to rule and to reign upon this earth. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who is the lily of the valley and the bright and the morning star. And as John said it in the beginning of Revelation, he is still the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, walks in the midst of the seven churches. And I believe that means that you are still with us today, with us today as Christians and as the church. We thank you for that this morning. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name.